It's hopeless. There's no use even trying anymore. It's a lost cause. He's never going to change. I'll never make it. We can never recover. No, these are not the words from the iron bowl yesterday. But they are all expressions of hopelessness. Ones we hear as well as ones that we say. And so often we say them to ourselves. We say them deep down inside of us as we approach life's circumstances and as they approach us. They show up in our relationships, in our families, while watching our favorite sports teams. Again, like yesterday. Maybe that didn't turn out the way that you had hoped. They show up in classrooms, around hospitals, in courtrooms, and in prisons. They are heard in churches, on political talk shows, and when peaceful treaties are attempted between two countries like the United States and Syria or Iran. We say them to ourselves, to each other, and perhaps even to God. We are all too familiar with these words. And we can so easily embrace a glass is half empty approach to life. How many of you would describe that as your approach? Good, we're all optimists here, or, or just liars, right? <laughs> with all that, uh, and with all that seems to be going wrong in our world, how can we be hope, hopeful, or how can we not be hopeless as we go through the, the year, and as we look back on this past year, and as we try to project to the year ahead? Year after year, we begin Advent with this word, hope. We light a candle for it, and with it we adorn our Christmas cards. And I, I love uh, the way Sabra, uh, Sabra Scoggin was uh, in charge of the altar area this Sunday morning, and she brought the word hope. And I remembered that, seeing that last year, because it's such a great illustration of that word. It is right there at the feet of the cross. It's there to remind us that we are a people of hope. And so we use this word in a lot of different ways and we put it in a lot of different places. But do we really see that there is much reason to have it again this year? Was it worth even putting out? Is it worth even lighting a candle for? Is it something that is real? If you were hoping for that raise or promotion at work and you didn't get it this year, you may be struggling with hope. If you had your dreams for a relationship turn into an absolute nightmare, you might be wondering if there is any hope. If you have an addiction that you just can't seem to shake, you may have given up hope. If you're living in the Philippines this holiday season, you may or may not think about hope in the same way. If you're a parent whose only source of food for your children is food stamps, you may see hope in a different way if you were one of the many who just had those cut right out from under you. If you keep up with the news, you may be concluding that things in our community are not getting any better, but worse. The ongoing reports of murder, of drugs, of crime, right here in our own neighborhood, can lead us to question if hope isn't just a church word. 
just a word to be put on the altar so that we can look at it and dream and think about what it might be one day, but not today in our reality. An empty dream and a futile view of the future. Have I depressed you enough this morning? (laughs) There's always good news coming. Challenges to hope are not a recent development. And as we've heard in our readings in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and in Matthew, in this 24th chapter of Matthew, the light of hope has always had to contend with the darkness of despair. Has it not? Has this contrast not found its way into our language and into our literature? Isn't it the the center of pretty much every great piece of uh, literature? Darkness and light, evil and good. And what we find here in the Gospels and in the prophecies is the same. These people of Israel in Isaiah's time certainly understood darkness and despair. They were surrounded by plenty of reasons to give up their hope. They had been pursued, conquered, and captured by their enemies. They had been humiliated by their defeat, torn from their homeland and from their families, and marched off into exile in a very distant land. All they had known and identified with as home was no more. Much like what the people in the Philippines and some of those communities are experiencing. Everything they knew has been washed or blown away. It's gone. The pictures, the furniture, the memories, the comfort, all gone. It even seemed at times for Israel that God was gone too. He was not there. So they thought much of the time. There wasn't much reason for hope. Until Isaiah showed up. And when he showed up with a message for God, he truly showed up. He had been spending some time listening to the God of Israel. Receiving a message that would become a fire in his belly. A light in the darkness. He had been instructed by God to give a message to the people. That, as it says, in days to come. And what a powerful little phrase that is. In days to come, things were going to be different. In days to come, their captivity would turn into freedom. In days to come, the injustice around them would come to justice. The things wrong in their world would be made right. The weapons of war would be turned to plowshares for peace. By the way, that phrase uh, is uh, engraved in the side of the building of the United Nations. It is such a powerful dream. It is such a powerful prophecy and a reality that those who put it there were longing to see as nations would come together in this prophecy of Isaiah, that the weapons of war would be no longer needed and would be used for something that would be helpful to humankind, no longer to kill off each other. In days to come, hang on, he would tell them, a new day is coming. In the meantime, they were to exercise their hope in the darkness by walking ahead in the light. O house of Jacob, he says, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. How could he even say that when all of these terrible things are going on all around them, when they're pulled away from all that they have held dear? He says it to a hopeless people sitting in the dark 
It was not enough to pine for a better day. According to Isaiah and to Jesus in our scripture today, hope is a verb. Hope meant walking and working and believing and actively waiting. God's light had been given to them and it was still there, just ahead of them, if they would keep on walking ahead. Well, Jesus provided hope too with his words to another generation of Israel who were in exile. Years later, this time, they were at home, but under captivity to a foreign power, to the Roman government. And after telling them what it will be like when the Son of Man fully arrives, he informed them that they should be ready, that they should be watching for him, as it could happen at any moment. Those are the key words of Advent, waiting and watching. He said to them, keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. No one knows, Jesus says, not even me, not even the Son of Man, the Son of God, has no idea when this is going to happen. But God knows, so be ready. Jesus wanted to be sure they had a hope that was active that was getting exercised on a daily basis. An article about the effects of exercise appeared in the New York Times this past week at a very strategic time. Right as I was forking a piece of pecan pie and its heaping dollop of whipping cream into my mouth. It wasn't a small piece either, quite a large one. Overeating, it says, overeating and inactivity can each, on its own, produce an energy surplus. Together, their ill effects are exacerbated, often in a very short period of time. Earlier studies have found that even a few days of inactivity and overeating spark detrimental changes in previously healthy bodies. Some of these experiments have also concluded that exercise blunts the ill effects of these behaviors, in large part, It has been assumed by reducing the energy surplus. It burns some of the excess calories. But a few scientists have suspected that exercise might do more. It might have physiological effects that extend beyond just incinerating surplus energy. I love that phrase, surplus energy. In other words, you're fat. And if you are not using your surplus energy, you're just getting more and more fat. In fact, you're so fat that you could provide energy for the Western Hemisphere with your surplus of energy. I will tell you that I did finish my piece of pie, but it went down with a tinge of guilt. If this is true, I thought, I must have one of the largest energy surpluses in the world. All I could think about was how much exercise it would take to burn off all of the overeating and inactivity that I have been consuming. Not just on that day, but as anyone around here who who works up here could tell you, I go through about, I don't know, five to ten candy bars a day just to provide enough energy to keep on going. On this first Sunday of Advent, this day when we focus on hope, we too must see that it is something to be exercised. It is something that we are to put and to keep in motion. 
A church in the darkness that is at rest tends to stay at rest. Have you seen that commercial on TV exercising something to help your joints, uh, you know, the ones in your body, your joints uh, work better and to work seamlessly? A body at rest tends to stay at rest. Well, a church at rest and in darkness tends to stay there. A church in the darkness will stay in the despair of the darkness unless it is moving ahead in the light that God has given. Perhaps what is most wrong with the church of today is that we are too busy complaining about the darkness and all of the terrible things that happen in it. That we forget that we are carriers of the light. That God has put us into the darkness so that we could be carriers of God's abundant light that illumines the world. When we sit in the darkness, we are ineffective, missing the future that God has for us in the now. So how do we do this hope walking? How do we even begin to exercise this word, this hope? How does it happen for the church of today? How can it happen for us as individuals dealing with our own hopelessness and darkness? And and let's not put on our masks as we come to church and say that we don't have any hopelessness or we've never experienced that before. We all do. Sometimes people with depression, people with problems, people with challenges feel like that they're all in it by themselves. That no one else sitting on the pew has ever experienced anything like that. Not so. We are all humans. We are all challenged. We all have difficulties and part of our existence in this world uh, is dealing with those difficulties. And yet God has given us help and strength to deal with it. The first thing we need to do is realize the current status of things. Recognize the darkness for what it is. I mean, that's what Isaiah said. It is dark. It is desolate. You are away from your home. When we are living in captivity to things, we need to see our lack of freedom. When injustice is in our world, we need to be aware of it. When things are wrong in our community, we need not deny that they exist. The church must not be reclusive, silent, or too heavenly to be any earthly good. We must be familiar with the darkness of our times. Let us not stop there, though. What we need to see is that there are days to come. Again, a great and powerful uh, collection of words that Isaiah has put together. There are days to come. In our seemingly hopeless world, we need to claim the words of Isaiah for our time, fully believing that in days to come, things will be different. We need to exercise our hope by imagining what those days will look like. Someone said the future belongs to the poets, not the philosophers, to the poets. We need to take those words and do something with them. We need to think more about them. We need to talk of how they will be and encourage each other in our world with them. We need to paint them on canvas, put them to song, post them in social media, carry them with us to work, dream them with our children, Put them in our prayers and own them in our hearts. 
The more we do so, the more light we shall see. The more we will see that we are walking in the right direction. And we are participating in how God is bringing them to be. Mark Twain understood hope and its need to be active. He offered up a prayer one day that could be our prayer as well. Lord, save us all from a hope tree that has lost the faculty of putting out blossoms. I'm not sure where Twain's hope tree was located, but I'm quite confident that it needed the right amount of light to create those blossoms. The same is true with our hope. We need to move it into the light. We need to get it out of the darkness and put it into the light where God wants it to be. Hope in the one who has come into our world as we celebrate on this first Sunday of Advent. This hope provides us with a light and we need to commit to embracing that light, to embracing the one who brings that light. As Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he has come for all to receive and all to walk in that light. And that light produces blossoms. Blossoms that are for us and for our world. So let us embrace it. Let us allow it to shine in our lives and for the lives that God has put around us. Let us exercise this hope that God has given. And let us pray. O God of hope, we come to you recognizing that you are a God who continues on. A God who cannot be stopped by the desolation and the problems and the challenges that are all around us.